With a 50% obesity rate in the U.S. and more unhealthy people than ever before, it is time to make America healthy. Welcome to Make America Healthy with Beth Shaw. If you're feeling tired, toxic, heavy, slow, or stressed, then keep listening. Beth and her expert guests are here to offer practical advice and share the tools you need to reclaim your physical, mental, and emotional health. Now, here is your host, Beth Shaw. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Make America Healthy. We've got a great show for you today. It's about turning back the clock and reversing aging, a topic I'm super passionate about. And we are joined today by Dr. Marshin Habib, and he was a student in England at the University of Sheffield Medical Center. Uh, He then went on to work at several several different hospitals, uh, even a psychiatric hospital, And now he is practicing in the United States. He founded Next Health, the first medical clinic to offer fitness, nutrition, and medical services all under one roof. A few years later, he incorporated a weight loss program into the clinic's offerings. And in 2006, he began practicing integrative medicine. So he works with food inflammation tests, advanced cardiac tests, And by 2014, he was able to test for early cancer markers uh, using advanced genetic and telomere testing. And he has demonstrated success in reversing biological age. I guess uh, I could go on and on, but we'll leave it there. And I would like to say, Dr. Habib, welcome to Make America Healthy. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you very much for inviting me. I look forward to this uh, enlightening conversation today. So, you know, we've had a show on anti-aging. It was on my birthday, May 11th. We had uh, Dr. Nick Pericone on. And we really ran by like what to eat and drink hydrogen water and all of that. But I think we need to do a deeper dive into what is aging and is it really reversible? Well, thank you for that. Um, Look, it's a wide subject area. Uh, Let me just start by saying I'm a clinician. My background is as an MD. So graduating from England, there was a lot of basics, and that is going to put us in very good position for our discussion. When I came to America, it was all big and bold and wonderful. I love it. Data is everything, but you got to have a little bit of both. You got to have data you got to have clinical sense or common sense, whatever you like to call it. So we want to talk about aging, but let's, let's just define that a little bit. When we say anti-aging, we don't mean living forever. Maybe some people do, but I don't. It's about healthy aging. It's not about just lifespan. It's about health span. I so 100% people, agree with that. I mean, I, yeah. just want, I want to look as good as possible and feel as good as possible. I quite frankly don't care what age I depart this planet. But while I'm here, I certainly want to look good and I want to feel good. It's funny you say that. That leads me to look. We can measure epigenetic age. We can measure so much. But what do we really want? What we want is better brain function, focus, clarity. What we want is energy. What we want is looking good, being able to burn the fat. What we're looking for is really function. But the thing is that that's not unique. That is not so different than anti-aging or healthy aging. That is actually the way to prevent disease. Most diseases are 
age-related diseases like osteoporosis, insulin, uh, diabetes type 2, you know, uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, heart disease, these are blood pressure, these are age-related diseases. So now we have conclusive evidence that not only can we measure biological age, we can actually reverse it. And that's the best way to prevent disease. Well, I mean, we all want to sign up for that. And um, it's interesting because I'm broadcasting live today from Harvard, where I'm immersed in a three-week executive education program. And a lot of us haven't seen each other for two and a half years. I noticed some people look like they really aged about a decade in the past two and a half years. Granted, it's been rough on all of us. Um, And I also recognize that lifestyle choices really play into a lot of this aging conversation. I have a friend who's a medical examiner in New York State, you know, and if, if you agree with this statement, that most of the diseases that we get, regardless of our age, are very lifestyle dependent, meaning that we can outwit our, our DNA, even if it's going to lead us down the wrong path, by changing our lifestyle habits. Yeah, not theoretical. This is a fact. You're not, your DNA is not your destiny. 90% of your DNA can be controlled. In fact, when we have time, I'll talk about my own DNA, my own genetics, which are pretty bad. But I've been able to not only prove that that I can stop the expression of disease, but my biological age is 10 years younger than my chronological age. So being able to practice what you preach is kind of good. So going back to University of Harvard, guess what? Dr. Harvath, he's the guy that produced or or discovered the epigenetic biological clock. So Harvard and Dr. Sinclair, he's the guy that does the longevity through sirtuin enzyme. We're going to talk about that, too. I love that, Dr. Sinclair. Yeah, exactly. And there's wonderful things you learn from all of these people who are researchers. They are, you know, they're very good at what they do. You know, I'm going to tell you directly, I'm a clinician. I deal with people. I don't deal with test tubes. I don't deal with, you know, research, but I get the information and I put it together. And that's what a clinician should do. My, my job is to get results. If somebody has blood pressure, I want to eliminate it, not control it. If somebody has um, diabetes, I want to reverse it. I don't want to control it. If somebody has heart disease blockages, I want to reverse it, not merely control it. So that's a fundamentally difference between just a typical conventional doctor, which I'm an MD, but I'm a functional doctor. I'm an integrative functional doctor. So I have a question for you because I know there's so many different ways for us to measure our age, Uh, you know, obviously not just by looking at our driver's license, but there's telomere testing, there's all kinds of different tests that that people will will use to measure like how old you truly are. Um, What tests work and what tests don't? and, and how do we as just, let's say, general consumers know if we want to find out, how, you know, what are our biological ages? How do we know? Where do we go? What do we do? Well, the good news is that as these things become standard, I wouldn't say standard of care, because if the average doctor doesn't do it, it's not classified as standard of care. But as it becomes more available, the price drops. So it's actually not out of most people's reach. If you can afford an iPhone, you can afford epigenetic testing, believe me. It's, and it's, where, would, uh, where, where would we go for this epigenetic testing? Well, most of them have to be ordered through a physician. 
So generally, if you order through the physician, the physician themselves can mail out the kit to you. And then you take a swab or you take a little pinch of blood, you know, like on a, a dropper piece of paper or blotting paper, and you put it in the mail. And that's where we're going with many of our technologies, getting so good that you don't have to go to the lab now. The lab will come to you. And so going back to the two most uh, uh, powerful ways to look at the biological clock, not the chronological clock. You mentioned driving license. Um, so that, that I was going to make a joke about it because, you know, it's a privilege to have a driving license and I'm a bit of a speed devil. But let's change that to some serious subject here, which is medicine. So telomeres were at one point our latest in biological age. So the, the telomeres are things that sit at the end of the chromosome. A lot of people know about it. Every time your cell divides, in order for perfect replication, the telomere is designed to be able to make that DNA perfectly duplicate. But as it divides, as it repairs, it becomes shorter and shorter. So when you're young, you have a long telomere length. As you get older, the telomere length shortens. That was very good. I used it for about 10 years. But for the last three or four years, I've been using the Harvard clock, the epigenetic age. In fact, it's so good that in animals like dogs, we can tell within six months when they're going to die. Now, we don't want to talk about when people are going to die. What we want to talk about is, are you aging prematurely? Because if you are, you can change the trajectory. Now, if you're aging well, then you can keep up the good work. So the first thing we need to do is... is get one of these tests and then whatever age we are, um, how long does it take with, with, uh, and I'm assuming this is primarily lifestyle changes, perhaps some hormonal changes, um, maybe some things like metformin, which I'm kind of on the fence about. I've had a prescription for it for years and I, I, ha I haven't filled it yet. Uh, we can talk about that later, but it, let's say we, we, let's say we're a 50, and we get a test back that, you know, we're, we're aged out at, at biologically at 55. Um, what's the protocol? What do we do? How long does it take? And then can we retest in three months or six months and, and see positive results? Can we, can we become 45 or 40? All right. Well, look, it's not about the absolute number. It's really reflecting your youthfulness. And that's why it's so important to combine data like epigenetic genes with functional age as well, which we're going to talk about. Because how can you know uh, how to reverse aging if you don't know what accelerates aging? So we're going to go in the top five things that contribute to accelerated aging, premature aging. Remember, I said, as a clinician, most diseases are age-related disease, and most people are aging prematurely. If you were a normal, healthy, balanced person, which is hard to believe in this Western hemisphere with the stresses and the pace of our life, if you are a normal person that has clean water, goes to sleep at the right time, wake up at the right time, is active, walk, that's all you need to do. You don't have to be a gym rat. You would actually die a natural death without any medication, without having any problems with your joints, without having any dementia. All of these things that people, especially doctors, say are just age-related is actually because we've allowed the epigenetic expression. So I have the genes, say, for blood pressure. I have the genes for diabetes. Interestingly, the gene is not at the diabetic level or at the blood pressure level. The gene actually starts in the gut lining. We call that enterocytes. I'll go into the science later on. But the point is that that gene is there is for me to either control it, suppress it, or in, in case of a good gene, express it. That is called epigenetics. That's how we measure somebody's biological age. So when there is aging going on, what we've been able to do is have an algorithm 
of the epigenetic changes through methylation. And a certain pattern will describe your age. And a pattern that is for uh, an old pattern, a pattern that is youthful. And based on that, that's how you can get very close to looking at your biological age. And, you know, I'd like you to talk a little bit about blue zones, too, because the people in the blue zones are these people that you're talking about that die a natural death, don't have disease, have an extended lifespan. Um, So let's make sure we touch on the blue zones as well. But first, tell us, what are these five markers of aging? And then we want to know what can we do to solve this problem? I mean, look, uh, uh, I have my markers. Dr. Sinclair has his markers. Dr. Longo has his markers. You know, uh, everybody has their markers. But what we want to uh, uh, talk about is the big, big things. So everybody knows about inflammation. So some people describe it as inflammation. We're talking about chronic inflammation. We're not talking about acute inflammation. We're not talking about healthy inflammation. We're talking about chronic inflammation. So chronic inflammation is one of the most devastating things that allow the acceleration of the aging process through num- uh, numerous factors. And we're going to go into that. Don't and imagine and can, that can that be tested just because I've had my inflammation levels done when I've had blood work done? Sure. Uh, that, that's a simple blood test for inflammation, right? It, it really is. Inflammation okay. is a complex phenomenon, but to keep it simple, we have blood tests, which are highly available, simply available, and that will at least get you in the right direction. Many of these things, uh, what we are testing, were really designed to find out disease like cardiac disease early. Now we realize that we can use that same data to show that not only is it a risk for heart, but it's actually a risk for aging and damage. So inflammation is just damaging. That's why we call it inflammaging. And when when we talk about inflammation, it's not just by itself. It comes as a package deal. It comes with oxidation. It comes with immune dysregulation. I'm going to mention a few more things in a minute. Wonderful. Yeah. So we've got number one, inflammation. What is number two? Yeah. So inflammation packaged in with other biomarkers, the ones I mentioned, including uric acid and homocysteine, easily done, right? These are not very sophisticated rare stuff. This is what your doctor should be able to order right away. Okay. The second one really is, is, uh, is knowing that the nutrient sensing pathways are some of the major uh, breakthroughs that we've had. In other words, some of the nutrient sensing pathways that are for growth. So if you eat protein, you turn on mTOR, you get muscle. Great. If you eat carbohydrates and, and, uh, and, uh, and proteins, you also turn on IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1. Great. That's good for growth. However, what we realized is if you want longevity, you have to turn those down oh. at a certain time. If it's always up, which is what people think is bigger is better, you're going to get into trouble and we're going to go into the details about how much protein. So I'm going to stop and ask you here um, because I saw functional medicine. I've been seeing functional medicine doctors on and off for years. Uh, The last one that I saw told me that I should eat hundred grams of protein a day. Uh, You know, I'm on the taller side. I tend to be thin. Uh, I've had difficulty really keeping muscle on my body, but I've been working out since age 15. So fortunately I have a lot of it, but hundred, hundred grams of protein sounded like a lot to me. So I'm curious, are you on a plant-based diet? Uh, so I'm, I'm an omnivore, as you can tell with okay. my big teeth, I eat both uh-huh. plants and animals. Okay. 
and, and and you'll tell us how to do a protein cycle, I would imagine, so that we don't have mTOR going all the time or IG1 being activated constantly. Yeah, that's why having Dr. Longo and having all these great scientists give us data, data is king. Then as a clinician, I use that data to say, okay, how does this fit my population, right? So the, 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 instead of guessing, we actually know what the right amount of protein should be because they've done studies. That is to say that it's based on your body weight. So if you're a bigger person, you're going to need more protein. If you're a lean person that works out, you're going to need more protein. So generally, it's 0.7 grams per kilogram. 0.7 grams per kilogram. Now, they did. Well, you're going to have to. You're going to have to translate that into yeah, sure, sure, those sure, of sure. us in, in the United yeah. States that are are, are not using pounds, not kilograms. Sure, sure. Well, I can actually help you in both ways. So, if you want to convert kilograms to pounds, you just uh, divide by two point two. So right. For every kilogram, there's two point two pounds. So, just divide by two point two, you get under three, around three. So, three grams, or just say three grams per pound. So, let's say someone who weighs 145 pounds. Yep. Should have how many grams of protein a day? Well, I'm European, so I'm from England. So let me just okay. convert that back. What is it? 140 pounds is about 65 kilograms. 65 kilograms multiplied by 0.7. We're talking about about 40 grams, really. That's all. Okay, so grams. that's not very much because also I know that we don't absorb more than 25 grams of protein at a time. So you look at someone who might eat a giant steak or a whole chicken or a big piece of fish. And you realize that half of that is kind of going in the trash because your body is only going to absorb 25 grams of protein at, in a meal. Is that correct? Well, let me blow your mind. Of that 40 grams for that individual with 65 pounds, uh, kilograms or 140 pounds, half of your protein is recycled. So you don't actually need 100% protein turnover. Half of your protein that your body needs will recycle it. And we're going to talk about that. Because if you don't uh, recycle your protein properly through heat shock proteins and other things, you're not going to be very healthy. So it goes back to what type of protein also, right? Not just the quantity. Is it plant-based? Is it animal-based? If so, is it clean? Right. Okay, so what's number three on the list? I mean, look, so the, the other one is about blood flow. So blood flow is one of those things that's synonymous with aging. If you understand the phrase, your brain is only as good as your blood vessels or your, your, you know, your immune system is only as good as your blood vessels, there's a good reason for that because the immune system and the blood vessel system, we call it vascular uh, you know, uh, immune system, they really make up a majority of either good things or bad things. And an example of a bad thing might be uh, vasculitis, like uh, lupus or psoriasis. What happens in the immune system and the blood vessel system are the things that end up leading to the downstream problems of joint pains and having skin problems, having inflammation in the blood vessels, including the liver. Well, this is where I put in a plug for yoga and meditation, because obviously when one is practicing yoga, we have increased blood flow and circulation. And I also know several studies have shown that meditation actually lengthens your telomeres. You are correct. And that is because the vagus nerve is part of the autonomic system and the vagus nerve activates the parasympathetic, which is an anti-inflammatory system. But you have to understand that's also connected to the gut. So we can talk about that later on. Wonderful. So what is number four on our list? Well, the next one is as you age, uh, your cells don't die. They don't get old and die. 
they go into a state of senescence. They go to sleep. Because if you have an old damaged cell, you don't want it to multiply and cause mutations. So having a buildup, an excessive amount of senescent cells is the definition of aging. So lack of blood flow and buildup of senescent cells are the things that lead to the skin aging. So it, so that's kind of easy because when we look at each other, we can kind of make judgments on how we look. So don't look at me and make judgment. Uh, it's the end of the day. I'm tired. But it's really true. That's why it goes back to blood vessel health, because the immune system and the blood vessels are the two key areas for everything from longevity to health to disease and performance. So you really want to be in a state of autophagy. Is that correct? Interesting. You bring that word up. You have to activate those things. So if you're constantly in a growth, you're eating protein and you're eating uh, even a balanced meal, but you're constantly eating, you're turning on the nutrient sensing pathways like IGF-1 and mTOR. And so growing when you're 20 is one thing. Growing when you're 30 is one thing, but you don't want to have growth because unchecked growth can actually lead to a problem. Now, why? Because if you combine the unchecked growth with a buildup of uh, or lacking senescent cells, then the senescent cells is actually designed to actually make the cell go to sleep. So if you start to say, well, you know what? I want anti-aging. I'm just going to use senolytics to break down the senolytic. I'm going to decrease the number of senescent cells. At the same time as pro-growth, you may get cancer. So it's about balance. It's about balance. Wonderful. Thank, this is fascinating. I, I could talk about this stuff for like years. Um, and for, hopefully I'll, I'll be uh, implementing all of your protocols so that I'll be around for years to talk about. Uh, number five on the list is what? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, I did write a list. So the, the fifth one is actually activating your longevity genes. There's a lot of overlap. When I talk about the food sensing pathway, I'm talking about your diet. When I talk about blood flow, I'm talking about exercise, nitric oxide. Then I'm talking about sirtuins, which is Dr. Sinclair's, you know, the seven sirtuins. But those are also nurtured and activated with lifestyle. But we have discovered certain chemicals like NAD, which we can talk about, and things that fuel NAD, like resveratrol. We can talk about that. And all these are measured by scientists like Dr. Sinclair, but we can practice them. And then we, I use them in my clinical day-to-day -day practice to get results in lowering blood pressure, in uh, lowering blood sugar, in uh, reducing inflammation from arthritis, in reversing autoimmune disease like thyroid, in reversing blockages in the heart and, and, and uh, cognitive decline. You can reverse all of these by making the body functional and biologically younger. And for our listeners who don't know what sirtuins are, can you please elaborate on that? Yeah, these are special proteins. They, some people describe them as enzymes. And so when you have your DNA, and as you get older, one of the uh, other uh, symptoms or signs of aging is where the DNA, which is tightly woven together, uh, it, it, it becomes to unravel. That's why if you have diseased genes in your 20, you wouldn't know about it. In your 30, because the DNA is wrapped up, even the bad genes, like I have a bad gene for, say, dementia. I have a bad gene for blood pressure and diabetes. I have a bad gene for inflammation. I have a bad gene for leaky gut. But if I keep them wrapped up, I am suppressing the epigenetic expression. And, um, and so the conversely, if you do the wrong things, like you know, have the high sugar, lack of exercise, stress, don't sleep, you're going to allow the epigenetic expression of those genes. Okay, so once they unravel, can you tie them back together again, or is it done and done? 
what well, goes back to what you said, autophagy. So autophagy is one of those ways to repair and activate. So sirtuins are actually like, um, what's the word? If you unravel it, you can reverse it, but you have to activate the NAD. You can activate NAD. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenosine dinucleotide, right? It's a breakdown product of vitamin B3, but you have to have many enzymes to get down there. So they've discovered that, hey, if I give mice NAD or NMN, then they can actually perform better. Now, the, uh, the proof will be, can that equate in humans? They probably can, but I don't know if you can actually see the performance. A lot of people claim you can get the performance. I'm not so sure about that. I have another, I have two questions for you on this. I have an NAD nose spray. I take uh, true niagen. Uh, Are these things helping me with my NAD levels? Well, that's the thing. I think data is king, right? So even I don't measure NAD per se, but let me sort of uh, go back to, if you don't know what causes the NAD to go down, then you'll be stuck on replacing forever. I'm not saying taking NAD is wrong. I'm just saying that you don't want to have to take it forever, do you? Unless you are told that this is the miracle thing, right? I don't believe that it should go down. I don't believe growth hormone should go down after 30. I don't believe, not only do I not believe, I can prove that the testosterone doesn't go down after 30. I can prove to you that nitric oxide does not go after We allow it to go down. We allow it to go down. Well, you know, I think our listeners and myself included in this would love to know how to keep our testosterone levels high and also how to keep our growth hormone levels high. Uh, without excess supplementation. Now, I know David Sinclair claims that his testosterone levels are up around 1,000 and he's, you know, 53, 54 years old. I don't know quite what he's doing to do that, but give us uh, give us some tips to keep our, our growth hormone and, and testosterone levels high. All right. Okay. So uh, growth hormone would be, would be the logical one. It's the master hormone. So if your growth hormone is good and fasting will raise your growth hormone, exercise will raise your growth hormone. This will be the master hormone that downstream supports every tissue in the body, every other hormone. So that alone can support testosterone. But so are, testosterone- are, you saying, are you saying intermittent fasting? Because I'll tell you, when we had Dr. Nick Pericone on the show and he was talking about intermittent fasting, I decided, okay, I'm going to get on this, on this train and, and try this for a while. And I, I did it for about three weeks, not every day, probably five days a week. Yeah. I will tell you, I lost about five pounds uh, and I was feeling really good. I wasn't hungry. The intermittent fasting thing for me was not a problem at all. And I actually felt much better. And I think I I looked good uh, during that time. I had a little uh, backtrack here being back at school uh, with getting on the, the fasting program again. But uh, you're a big believer in intermittent fasting. How many hours do you typically suggest we should do this for? Sure. So let's just go over the overview. The overview is that, you know, this is, it's about those nutrient sensing pathways. Remember I said that this was one of the breakthroughs, this pro-growth IGF-1 and mTOR, too much of it actually makes you get older faster. So it depends what you want. You want to just live forever or do you want big muscles? Well, I would propose to you that you want big muscles. Can we have both, please? Yes, yes, yes. That's what I'm getting to. That's why we call it intermittent fasting. Because okay. if you fasted all the time, you'd be wasted. Now, don't make any comments about my my uh, physique. So well, you, look, I, you look very lean to me. And, and I'm 53 years old, but my oh, well. biological age is 42. So okay. they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. So the point is that if you understand about those nutrient sensing pathways, when to turn them off, And then when you break your fast, you're turning them back on. 
but you're turning them on in a healthy way, not with sugars, but with good fats and good proteins. That is the way I've kept myself biologically young. And you'd imagine I've done it for 20, 30 years. No, the fasting I've done about four or five years. Before that, I was doing what other people do, a balanced diet, three meals a day. And are you, and I've been, I've been obsessed with intermittent fasting since we had Dr. Pericone on. I've watched a thousand things on YouTube. I had no idea that like fish oil can break your intermittent fast. Uh, even those like uh, chlorella and spirulina pills I'm taking, I stopped taking them when I was in the fasting period. Um, what, what's the, because this is something that all of our listeners can do at home right away. If you want to get healthier, you want to feel and look younger, you want to lose some weight, start intermittent fasting. Are you recommending a 12 hour window, a 16 hour window? What's your suggestion? Yeah. Listen, I think that it'd be easy to just throw a number and I'll give you a number, but you know, I'm a physician. I have to give you a little bit of context. It depends on the individual, right? It depends on the individual. If they're already in a catabolic state, that means they're breaking down. They're on steroids. They're going to be catabolic, right? They're on steroids because of asthma. If they're in a catabolic state because they haven't been sleeping properly, when somebody's already breaking down, you don't want to add another layer of stress. In fact, I did that to myself. I was fasting all day long. Then I went to the gym and I worked out. And I'm assuming as a physician, I had a little bit of strength, uh, stress. I ended up with leaky gut, right? There's no symptoms of leaky gut. I found it when I did my blood test. So my point is that it depends on the individual, but you ask me a question, I'll try and give you a straight answer, which is that you know, 12 hours is the sweet spot. If you can go to 14, that's great. 16 is a little bit hard. More is not always better. It depends on the individual. And so w- w- let me tell you the detail. What is it about fasting that activates growth hormone? So when you're fasting and you're hungry, that's releasing something called ghrelin. Grendelin is a growth hormone releasing hormone. So when you're fasting, you're actually supporting, you're actually increasing your growth hormone probably even more than exercise. And so that's the point about fasting is to feel hungry. You know, because I'm a more is more person uh, when it comes to anything health and wellness related. So the most I've gotten to with the fasting was up to 17 hours. And I felt really good about that. And I was trying to go for 16 Uh, you know, yesterday I just did 12. What I'm finding, and I don't know if other people who do intermittent fasting have the same experience. I found that I wasn't even really hungry to then eat a lunch at like one o'clock. And then my functional medicine doctor told me it doesn't matter if you're hungry or not, you should eat. I don't know if you agree with that. You know, he said you wouldn't wait to drink water until you're thirsty. Um, you know, what if you get into that zone and you just feel like, I, I don't want to even eat? Should you make yourself eat? Guess what? Um, listen to your body. Uh, you know, we as teach, a doctor, we I, teach that at Yoga Fit all the time. So, so my point is, as a physician, I like to believe I'm right. But, you know, the information I'm giving you is right today. Yeah. In six months from now, it's going to change. Not that we're wrong. We're going to learn. So there's one thing that's never going to be wrong. Listen to your body. Right. Listen to your body. Now. There's a little bit of science. That's where, you know, you listen to your body and then you use a little science, a little metrics to figure it out. Like I told you, if I hadn't done my test and saw the leaky gut, I wouldn't have realized I was doing damage to myself, right? So I had to just step it back. I just had to step it back, get a little bit more modern. What is the test for leaky gut? Because I know this is very prevalent in our society and you said there are no symptoms for it. Uh, What test can we get done to find out if we have leaky gut? I'm going to give you the right answer. Then I'm going to explain why other people describe all these fluffy stuff. Fluffy is my derogative terminology. So (laughs) leaky gut means that the tight junction in your gut are no longer tight. 
as those tight junctions break, you release zonulin. Zonulin is a is a is a is a is an enzyme. It's a protein that is released into the stool. You can test it there, or it's released into the bloodstream. Mine is the blood test. So when I looked at my blood test, I saw zonulin. You can also see either candida or breakers yeast or bruise yeast. Those are also signs that you have leaky gut. Now the problem with leaky gut is that even if you don't feel anything, you are now allowing toxins to enter the blood circulation, which then has to go through the liver. And then the liver has to detoxify it. And there starts maybe a cascade of dealing with chronic exposure to things that shouldn't have entered uh, had you got a tight junction. Tight intestinal means integrity. Now, why do I say there's no symptoms? There is no symptoms. Now, when people say there are symptoms, I'll tell you why they have symptoms. It's because they have a dysfunctional gut, like gastritis and bloating and gas. That's not an indication. That's not diagnostic of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It's very difficult to come with those diagnoses based on just symptoms alone. There are breath tests and so forth. So when people have symptoms, they actually just have a symptom of an unhealthy gut, unhealthy gallbladder, unhealthy, which is a constellation of symptoms of you know unsatisfactory bowel motion, bloating, gas, pain, belching, you name it. So, so a, lot of, a lot of people might think if they're belching or they have gas or bloating, they just, you know, put the wrong combination of food in their body. What I'm hearing from you is that they probably have leaky gut. You've got to, you know, as a clinician, you get a good history and then you have to get some data, right? So with gastritis and acid reflux or GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, that's clinical. We listen to the story. We can figure it out. I, I'll give you a story. This morning, somebody called me and said, you know what? I had a non-organic pasta uh, and I had non-organic pasta sauce and I had non-organic beef. And boy, my gut was bad. I woke up and threw up and now I've been constipated. I'm straining and, you know, and I feel terrible. It must have been that I didn't have organic. It's like, hang on, hang on, hold on, hold on. Let's go over the story. So tell me when it started. Well, it was after my meal. I woke up, I w- wanted to throw up, I threw up a little bit. And then, you know, my uh, nothing would come out, so I'm straining. And then I saw some sort of black stool just sort of poop out. And I said, hang on, hang on. So what, what's the main symptoms that you have? So he was kind of confusing a lot of different things. Well, you know, I've got stomach pain over here and I'm belching a lot. And then I said, okay, you've got stomach pain. That's maybe inflammation, gastritis. You're belching. That's irritation. You've got gas. Well, tell me that thing about what you're, you know, if you're constipated, how come something is squirting out? How can you squirt something out when you're bunged up? When you're, and he said, yeah, some black stuff. I said, oh, okay. So you're describing pain in the stomach and that is now bleeding and that enzymes in your stomach are digesting the blood, which turns black. We call that melanin. So actually, you, you thought it was constipation. Actually, what you got is a flare-up of gastritis because you had tomatoes, which is a very acid-producing. So, so what I'm trying to say is that you have to listen to the story when it comes to gastritis. But for leaky gut, you, can, you can't listen to the story because you may have symptoms with no leaky gut. You have no symptoms and you have leaky gut. You have to do the testing. Okay, so people should go to their doctor uh, if they're interested and get tested for zonulin. Zonulin, correct. Zonulin, okay. Very, very good information. Uh, so what, what are some other solutions uh, for all these medical challenges that we're uh, inflicting upon ourselves with um, lifestyle and, and choices? Well, as I said, I think what we'll do is give you the five solutions 
of the five, as I was alluding to, three of them are free. <laughs> so we'll, we'll start off with the free stuff. And well, so, free, free so, stuff being intermittent fasting is free. It's, it's free. It really is. Yeah. You know, when people say, oh, you integrative doctors, you functional doctors are so expensive. It's like, listen, if you want evidence-based medicine, you got to have data. If you don't do data, you're going to get accused by traditional MDs that you're witchcraft and hocus pocus. Not only are we not hocus pocus, functional medicine is the real medicine that actually reverses disease. Allopathic medicine, which I am trained in and I am licensed, is for controlling disease. Controlling never fixed anything. Well, it's symptom-based, just like people who are listening to this, if they had some kind of uh, belching or, or you know, uh, acid reflux issue, you know, there's a thousand pills on the market, but those just treat the symptom, not the root cause, which I believe is the problem with our Western medical system, whereas Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, and some of the older uh, methodologies on the planet that have been tested, you know, for thousands of years really are more um, root cause focused than just, you know, giving someone a pill and treating a symptom. Well, I mean, look, this is a good segue to just uh, before we wrap up on this part is that, um, you know, the, the thing that we just talked about aging and that we just said most, uh, especially in primary care, I'm internal medicine, family practice, which means primary care is kind of where 80% of medicine is. And then once you need a specialist for a stent, you go to a cardiologist, you need a colonoscopy, you go to a GI guy, you need a, you know, a rheumatologist if you have off, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. But you know, it's so important to understand that the type of medicine we do uh, in functional medicine, integrative medicine, it's, it's like rethinking medicine. So that's why you know, I actually use the terminology rethinking medicine because you want to be able to predict things. You want to be able to prevent things. That's smart. You don't want to be the smartest oncologist. You don't want to be the best cardiac surgeon because that's waiting too long. You want to be able to prevent these things. Awesome. So where are we going with some solutions? So the solutions start with fasting. Why? Because fasting raises your growth hormone. Fasting activates um, your uh, what we call the metabolic switch, AMPK. That's a metabolic switch means that it starts to make your body uh, rev up the metabolism. So when you are finishing your fast, your AMPK is ready to take advantage of the nourishment that you're going to put in. We call that refeeding. So when you are fasting, you also make NAD, that fuel that we talked about that's on the intracellular level. That is the nutrient that also activates that longevity gene for sirtuins. So that's why fasting is like no brainer. Is there any downside? Only if you go kind of go crazy. Uh, as I said, if you already have one stress and two stress. So all the magic things that we're talking about, about longevity is all about temporary stress. So just, I wasn't going to talk about this, but fasting is a temporary stress. High intensity, high intensity interval training is a stress. Hypothermia like sauna is a temporary stress. Cryotherapy, cold is a temporary stress. So temporary stress is temporary stress is what makes for robustness and longevity. So the, the first uh, uh, therapy is fasting. Next would be exercise. So with exercise, what we're doing is as we move the blood through the blood vessels, we call that a shearing force. It releases nitric oxide. So some people know about arginine converting to citrulline and citrulline convert to arginine. We call that shuffling. As it shuffles, you can release nitric oxide. Now, there's a little thing for people who are a little geeky. There's an enzyme called NOS. That has to be working. If that enzyme is not working, then that shuffling doesn't work so well. And you're exercising, you may not get the full benefit. That's why it's so important that you combine 
a balanced lifestyle because just exercising alone is not enough. You have to make sure you're protecting those enzymes. Those enzymes are damaged with high sugar. Those enzymes are damaged with inflammation. Those enzymes, so the, in the body, sirtuins are enzymes. The, you can't make them. It's, it's, it's not that easy. So tell us, um, just in terms of exercise, uh, you know, is, do you believe that there can be too much exercise? Yes, for sure. So let me give you studies. So marathon runners have more heart attacks than the average population. Why? Because they're creating their own inflammation from the excessive exercise. In addition to that, my uh, observation is that because of the training and the long endurance, they're not going to stop and have lunch. They're going to carry refined carbs with them. Refined carbs cause the insulin to spike, which turns on inflammation. So you've got two reasons for inflammation. One is that excessive sports deplete your antioxidant function, allowing inflammation to be readily present. Then you're provoking inflammation by putting refined carbs, which turn on insulin resistance, and then that gives inflammation. So that's one way. Other endurance athletes, by the way, also have low testosterone because any stress will, 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 will deplete the body, then the body has to repair itself. The body repairs itself with its own endogenous steroids. So one of the, those major repair steroids is testosterone. So people who do endurance sports, no fault of their own, have low testosterone and they need T, uh, you know, thi- uh, testosterone replacement therapy, which is illegal if you do certain sports. But in fact, they truly have low testosterone. And that, so, you know, you ask me, how would people help themselves? What is testosterone made of? It's made of cholesterol. If you are being, if you've been told that cholesterol is bad, that you must be, be on cholesterol-lowering pills, where do the ingredients come from to make your testosterone? Another piece of fact. First, you got to know what makes it. Then you have to know what damages it. If you don't sleep, your body's under stress. People with sleep apnea have low testosterone. So these are real studies, real observations, and you have to be able to apply them in your life. So it's important to eat healthy fats. In fact, when you're fasting, as far as Dr. Longo is concerned, he does the fasting mimicking diet, the prolon, P-R-O-L-O-N. He's, he's proven that you can reduce inflammation, blood pressure, and blood sugar, and lose weight very safely and effectively. Even they allow... 500 calories or more, but primarily from fats. In other words, they don't actually stop eating. Like you and me will stop eating. I have beverages, you know, like tea and black coffee. Uh, You can actually get by with some fatty things like nuts and seeds and avocados and not break your fast. So uh, when I do intermittent fasting, I always try to eat an avocado a day. Are you telling me that I can eat that avocado during my fasting period? Or should I wait until 12 to 14 to 16 hours is up and then have the avocado? I think you and I are both hardcore. Embrace the pain because that pain is grenaline. Grenaline is the hunger hormone that tells your brain, go eat. You're resisting. You're under stress. I'm not telling you to, you know, suffer, but you know, so you don't suffer if you drink water and tea and stuff like that. But but I, I, again, when I have done the intermittent fasting and I did it for about three weeks, um, fairly religiously, I was not even hungry. I had to make myself eat because I thought, oh, wow, 17 hours have gone by. I better put something in, but I'm also of the body type that, you know, my muscle will go away if I don't feed it with something. Yeah. Well, this is the key. 
the Dr. Longo has proven that intermittent fasting does not allow your muscle to waste away. Why? Two things. One is the ghrelin, the hunger hormone from the stomach, is a growth hormone releasing hormone. In fact, your growth hormone goes up by thousands during the fasting state. And also, you release an essential amino acid called leucine. That's why, for intermittent fasting, particularly, you don't lose muscle mass. Okay, I have another question for you because I did a lot of research uh, after we did the anti-aging show, and I realized uh, fish oil breaks the fast, uh, amino acids, which I take, you know, a, a handful every day, they also break the fast. I don't know, does glutamine take the fast? If I'm taking a liquid vitamin C or vitamin D supplement, is that going to break the fast? Okay. Give our listeners just sure. a quick list sure. of things that are going to break the fast that they might well, not realize are going to break their intermittent fast and ruin all the hard work that they're putting in not eating. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, I said, if you ask, I, maybe I didn't say it, let me say it now. If you ask uh, three doctors the same question, you're going to get three different answers. So the truth well, we, is somewhere we in the middle. We want your answer, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm a clinician. So I, I deal with the people in front of me. This is not a lab. This is not a study. So I use that information. I use my metrics. So this is the point. The point is, if any of that was true, and I'm not uh, being disparaging, if it's true, why don't you have them when you break your fast? Take your fish oil after the fast. Take your amino acids after the fast. You know, uh, it's true. Amino acids are better absorbed than an empty stomach. So the, the part that I might agree with, with is protein turning on mTOR would break your fast after a certain amount, by the way, just not a little bit. Amino acids are essential. They're molecular. I don't see how that's going to break it. Fish oil. Just supposing there was a ton of calories, which I don't know how much calories in fish oil. Five grams? I'm going to tell grams. you because I have a bag of fish oil. There right you go. There. Go ahead. Tell me. Tell me. Okay. So uh, in uh, three soft gels yeah. are 45 calories. That's calories. Uh, now, how many grams of uh, fat is that? 3.5 grams of fat. Yeah. It's, it's not a lot. So and, let me give you less, an example. Less than a gram of protein. Yeah. Well, le- one gram. You know what breaks a fast? 60 grams of carbohydrate. I say okay. 30 just because that's half a bagel. That's plenty of carbs. I wouldn't even eat that. So you get the drift. You have to have a lot of protein and carbohydrate to break your fast. And fat is not supposed to break the uh, intermittent fasting anyway. And the amount you're talking about is so minuscule. Yeah, but, you know, during the whole bulletproof coffee craze and MCT oil, uh, many of the research papers that I read said that MCT oil will break your intermittent fast. Well, let me tell you something. I don't, I don't want to have Dave Asprey on your show and, and, you get, and he get upset with you for inviting this uh, lab mouth here. But uh, let me just tell you. So, look, when would I take MCT? I'll take it more before I go to bed. That's what I would do. You know why I don't need MCT by day? I'll tell you why. If I'm not consuming any carbs and I'm not consuming any proteins and I'm not consuming any fat, my body's going to break down fat, make its own ketone. I don't need MCT as my ketone. I can get that at night because at night I've eaten my dinner. I want MCT for my brain. By day, you can make your own ketones. So you just saved our listeners from having to buy MCT oil and put it in their coffee. Thank you. Exactly. It's crazy. <laughs> that guy is crazy. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean disparaging. Uh, I, I, like I say, there's a difference between a clinician who practices with real patients. I mean, not practice like playing around practice. It's like we, we, we have to deal with real people. So yeah, anyway, enough said. 
Okay, so back to back to our solutions. What other tips do you have for our yep. listeners so, who want look, to look look and feel younger? Yep. Well, I'm going to go with the important ones first before I talk about this. Uh, the you know the glamorous stuff, the microbiome, the gut, right? When we talk about inflammation, where does it come from? The microbiome. When we talk about activating anti-inflammatory pathways, microbiome. So when you eat insoluble fiber. That means a fiber that when you've eaten it cannot be digested in the small intestine. It makes its way to the large intestine. That is fuel for the bacteria. The more diverse that you can make that fiber, it's diversity in fuel, which will lead to diversity in the bacterial flora, which is anti-inflammatory. You could have the best diet, but you keep eating the same thing. You will not have diversity. So that unfortunately, is not anti-inflammatory. So you cannot do any of this discussion without talking about the microbiome. That's why the diet is important. We're not saying go and have Metamucil. We need diversity. Eat your colorful fruits. Eat your colorful vegetables. Eat the things that are in the root, the the ground root vegetables, and have a diversity of uh, uh, insoluble fibers or what we call resistant starches. I'll give you some examples. Artichoke. Onions garlic, um, uh, so asparagus. So the resistant starches are in, in plantains or green bananas. Other examples are powdered raw potatoes. Some people actually said they like raw potatoes. Like I thought I was crazy. Yeah, I was going to ask you what your thoughts are on potatoes. I will allow myself like once a month to have French fries and maybe once every two weeks or so to have some mashed potatoes. But I also realize they're full of fluoride. Uh, and I'm big on keeping the fluoride out of my system. Um, you know, uh, for years, those of us who have been around the bodybuilding world hear that sweet potatoes are so good for you. Uh, potatoes, yay or nay? Well, there's a difference. They're, they're good with alkaloids, which are cancer fighting. There's a white uh, potato and then there's a sweet potato. They're right. different. And so we're talking about, uh, even both potatoes have their benefit. The skin has a lot of the benefit but the white potato has a high glycemic index, hence why, unfortunately, overall, you'd have a slightly negative, but everything in moderation. It's the, in, like in business, 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, be as good as you can. 20% of the time, live a little. Some people, 90-10. brings me to the question of what are your thoughts on caffeine and alcohol? Oh, I'm surprised you, uh, you, you, know, you, you, you really are going straight to the hot button subjects. That, that's so, what I do. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, look, uh, I, I'm going to be a nice doctor and say moderation. But unfortunately, when it comes to alcohol, uh, for most people, there is downstream consequences. But everybody's different because your enzyme to break it down is different to the next person. And it but also they, depends on the type of alcohol. Like an organic wine is going to be yeah, different than right, uh, right. A, a vodka soda or a margarita. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, you. so we're going to wrap it up because I see the time uh, thing there. Yeah, so yeah. these risk virtuals come from, from, uh, from certain wines. That's okay. But beer has purines and that can actually trigger gout because it raises uric acid. Caffeine, by the way, is actually quite good, but it's like a bell curve. When you have about two to three cups, you're just about okay. Less dementia, less metabolic syndrome. You take too much, you get maybe anxiety. And if you take too little, you don't get the benefit. So it's all about moderation. That bell curve is a really scientific uh, thing. Bell curve means when it's too little is bad. When it's too much is bad. The sweet spot is in the middle. That was That's what we call optimal health. And that's what Buddha would say, keep taking the path to the middle ground, right? 
That's right. That's right. Um, so listen, uh, let me just tell you uh, some of the important yeah. things which are, you know, not uh, fasting and exercise and, and just eating right. It's about supplementation. So if you want to take this right supplementation, the magic, magic new, uh, 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 ingredient is nitric oxide. So taking maybe arginine or citrulline is something to consider. Having nutrients like quercetin to protect the nitric oxide synthase is very, very important. Having a clean liver, I'm going a little fast. Having a clean liver means that your BH4 will donate an electron to that enzyme to make nitric oxide. So nitric oxide is so diverse, so complicated, but it's one of those essential things. That's what I got to say, but it's free if you exercise. But exercise alone is not good. You have to think about protecting that enzyme. The fifth one, which is I love, is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. That's why I invested in two hard chambers because it's phenomenal, especially when you combine the fasting with the exercise, when you combine a good diet and supplementation and you throw in the hyperbaric oxygen chamber, you activate longevity genes, you activate vascular endothelial growth factor, you stimulate brain-derived neurotrophic factor, you downregulate cancer markers. How fast can I speak? Because I only have three minutes. Let's go. Well, actually, we've got to thank our sponsors. So we're going to wrap up. But um, wow, we need to have you back on the show because there's so much to cover and everything requires a deep dive. And then everything also requires a, a, a simpler understanding so that, you know, the average person can start to make these positive changes uh, with their exercise program, with their lifestyle. I think the, uh, and, and we touched on so much good information today, but, you know, something that everyone who's listening to the show can do is start intermittent fasting. Uh, tomorrow, it does not cost anything. In fact, it will save you money because you'll be buying less food. And, um, and wow, it's just so much great information. So I would like to thank our sponsors for this show, uh, globalhealing.com, uh, leaders in making vegan organic supplements, and they have a bunch of different cleanses for your liver and everything else. Uh, it's a great company, great supplements. I take all of them. If you want to save 15% this month, you can go to globalhealing.com. And enter the code in YogaFit15 to save 15% at checkout. We would also like to thank our sponsor, YogaFit Training Systems, the leader in mind-body fitness education, offering corporate wellness programs for uh, you and all your employees. We also offer education on so many different topics from meditation to yoga to Ayurveda, yoga's therapy, yoga's healthcare, uh, specialized programs. So go to yogafit.com and check us out. If you'd like to save 15% at checkout, you can enter the code voice 22 at yogafit.com. And I'd also like to invite all the listeners to purchase my book, Yoga Lean, and the rest of my books, Healing Trauma with Yoga is a great one. They're available anywhere that you would get a book such as Amazon. Please visit me at bethshaw.com. And on Instagram, Beth Shaw Health. If you're in Boston this weekend on June 12th, I am presenting at the Biohacking Conference at 11 a.m. You can message me off of bethshaw.com to get a pass. I will send you one. And uh, we'd like to thank our guest so much, Dr. Habib. Uh, this has been so educational and, and energetic. And uh, thank you for being an inspiration and providing such wonderful information. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, thank you. So until next time, uh, everyone, let's make America healthy. Let's get healthier. 
Let's make positive changes. You alone are in control of your own health physically and mentally. So take care of yourself because you need to be healthy. Your health is your most valuable asset always. Don't forget it. Make it a priority. Check in next week. We're doing the show on obesity. Uh, Namaste, everyone, and have a great, healthy day. Thanks for joining us on Make America Healthy. We hope we've given you some tools you need to take back control of your health. Until next time, we wish you a healthy and wonderful week.